Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up to date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. Welcome to the Run Through with Vogue. I'm Chloe Mal. And I'm Chermanadi. And this week on the show, we have one of our good friends and, and colleague. colleague. Welcome, Taylor. Yeah, hi. <laughs> hi, guys. <laughs> Taylor Antrim. <laughs> yes. Executive you... editor of Vogue. No. God, start over. Taylor Antrim, deputy editor of Vogue. There you go. There you go. That's me. Hello, and uh, chief film critic at Vogue. Ooh, I love yes. it. Yes, yeah. I love yes. it. Yes, yes. Has Un- joined us to discuss. Yeah, unofficially, officially. <laughs> has yeah. joined us to discuss the hottest award season contenders. Yeah. I have great curiosity about Choma's best right. dressed from the Golden Globes. Well, the, yeah, me I too. felt like the clothes were not the main event, but there was a lot of discussion in the group Slack channel and also on Twitter, apparently, the fact that none of the presenters asked credits. Did you notice that? At the beginning? You yeah. mean in the interviews? Usually the first thing that they do is they say, what are you wearing? Tell us what no, you're but wearing. that's been years that they haven't been allowed to do that. No, they've done no, They've no, no. That. There's been a whole campaign over the past four years to not ask women first what they're wearing, particularly. But they did at some point address it. But I thought that um, Laverne Cox asked— I miss Laverne. Sorry. I, I was watching Laverne. Laverne, and she was saying to people, tell me about the story you're telling with your outfit, which I thought was a hilarious way to sidestep and that. You're right. They definitely don't ask anymore. They don't as, ask anymore. Like, it used and to be the first question you got all your credits. Still, I just think— I know. I Why agree. completely? I get it. We're more than the sum of our dress, but <laughs> we're more than the sum of our Cartier. <laughs> yeah, but you want to know. I want to know, and I think it's, it's it kind of annoyed me. Anyway, I don't know when this rule was eliminated or made. Or it's been a gradual shift. It's been a yes, gradual okay. shift. First, I'd like to call out Emma Darcy. They yes. looked incredible in acne. Yeah. They were the one of the few. People in a they s- are an actor from House of Dragons. House of Dragons. Game of Thrones. House spin-off. of the Dragons. House yep. of the Dragons. <laughs> House of Dragons is and, a board game. I mean, if it's going to win a Golden Globe, you got to like <laughs> name it properly. And on screen, they're a blonde, but in real life, they were a brunette. Yeah, they At were wearing awards, like an they oversized. Were an oversized suit, which I, a tuxedo, and and it was really fun. It was a, a acne. So a younger brand not going with the kind of, you know, but a little bit But also they had like a very intense blue eyeliner and like one... And a glittery shoe. One tear coming down. And I couldn't I tell <laughs> if they did that on purpose, like a Johnny Depp crybaby thing, <laughs> or if they just teared up because they were also very emotional about right, being there. Right, And then got trashed with the other, their co-star. Oh, yeah, yeah. She is fine. We'll, we'll save that for later. Yeah, yeah we, we got to get to the drunk We got to get to the drunk later. And who, who else Truly did I Truly the raison d'etre for the whole Golden operation. Globes. Yes, yeah. the, whole, the whole yeah. Golden Globes. Yeah. So seriously, that was, for me, that was the whole point. But I thought Daisy Edgar Jones looked good in Gucci. There were a lot of people in Gucci. She needed to dial it up with the glam. 
I thought Michelle Yeoh looked really good. Yeah, in her Armani sort yeah, of yeah. beaded sequin peplum. Yeah, she looked cheap. And long hair. There was a lot of um And obviously Rihanna. Good hair Rihanna who oh, did yes, not yes. show up on the carpet in Scaparelli. Her hair was incredible. We actually It reminded me of George Costanza Costanza when he says <laughs> that he his dream in life is to be swaddled in velvet. Yeah. Just be draped in velvet. Yeah, and usually I'm not here for black on the red carpet, but I thought she looked Fabulous. No, she did. There were there were some good velvet moments. Um Selena Gomez and Valentino had sort Not of... my favorite. Okay, okay. Not my favorite. All right. The silhouette wasn't quite gelling for me. But love Selena and the high ponytail on the carpet. Mm-hmm. Here for that. I was very happy with a lot of suiting moments. I yeah, thought I thought the men really showed up and did. Eddie did Redmayne well. and his chocolate brown with that floppy he, he silk always, rosette. He always likes and... to try something different. Yeah, I want to hear you on the the suit changes Gerard Carmichael went through over the course of the evening. Six Shana. outfit changes. Was, it was he wild. Was, he was, I honestly felt that his maybe his wardrobe redeemed his hosting abilities. Oh, we should talk about his hosting abilities. <laughs> I mean, I thought his speech was amazing. The opening speech was great, but then it right. sort of peed off. And John and I have been talking agree. about wondering how much he was paid, so now we know. I know. Do we believe that figure, though? Yeah, he can't say that and not be that and not be true. No? He's also a comedian. He can say whatever he likes. Yeah. Is that true? Okay, maybe. I believe it. But I did think it was a very subversive speech. And Ricky Gervais used to get up there and trash everybody in the audience. And that was part of the charge of watching the Golden Globes. You had this, like, dangerous opening monologue, you know? And I thought the genius thing about Gerard was that he, like, honored that tradition, but it felt very up-to-date. It felt like a generational shift on how to unsettle an audience and be really authentic And I thought it was great. The question was, like, do we need the Golden Globes anymore? And I thought, after watching that, I was like, yes, we should have the Golden Globes every year. I agree. Raising my hand. I like it because it's the only one with TV and film. And I feel like it's really nice to have both categories together, especially now that it's so overlapping with streaming. Agree. Agree. And, you know, if you don't have— What do they call it? Prestige TV? Yeah. (laughs) Prestige TV. (laughs) Yeah. Millennial in the mix. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't have TV, you don't have, like, Mike White and Jennifer Coolidge, like, acting out their platonic love affair on the stage. One of my favorite moments. That really was charming. And Mike White, like, legitimately drunk on stage, which is the thing you want to see when you tune into the Golden Globes, right? Um, I mean, I don't know if he— He was glassy-eyed. It was he really was glassy-eyed. Ob- It was so obvious. <laughs> he said he was going to give his, his acceptance speech in Italian, but he was too drunk to pull it off. That is hilarious. I mean— I love him. Love him, right? And Jennifer Coolidge was great. I mean, she got two speeches out of Jennifer Coolidge, and the second one was better than the first one. Yeah. No, I mean, the Golden Globes don't take themselves as seriously as the Oscars, and no. that's what you want out of the Golden Globes. So you have kind of a wacky, weird, slightly unexpected— you know, award show, and I feel like we got some elements of that. I mean, there are ten movies that are going to get Academy Award nominations, and from all, right, all t- that, tell us, yeah, what's I'm it going to be? Oh gosh, I'm not sure I can reel them all off, but I'm well, not hello, sure. Hello, Taylor, what are you here for? Between well, us, well, I can. think on the bubble, if we want to talk about what's on the bubble, like these really good movies are on the bubble: Women King, uh, Women Talking, White Noise. I think more. Women King is Viola Davis. Yeah, I yeah. saw. Okay. I've seen it. I've okay, seen that one. I haven't. That made yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. It made like $300 million. So why does watch. that make money and Fableman's doesn't? So this is the question, right? Okay. Movies are going through a crisis because you had a year in which two movies made over $3 billion combined. Those movies are Avatar Way of Water and Top Gun Maverick. James Cameron is saying it's on the red carpet, go to the movies. I need you at the movies. Why is he complaining? Because I'm Tar sure makes like $8 million. Okay. You know, Fableman's makes like $15 million. She said, do you, do you know anyone who's seen that movie? That's a yes. really good movie. Our Great preschool movie. teacher, Jill, loved it. <laughs> I loved it, too. I thought I mean, it was great. I mean, you should know a rhetorical question when you hear one. Um, 
<laughs> so, like, you know, the, the problem is streaming is not going to support making movies like that. Netflix spent $100 million on white noise, but they're not going to keep doing that, you know? And, like, who's going to pony up the money for a movie like Tar if it's only going to make $8 million in the, in the box office? So my grand theory of the case is that award season is coming along and has to weigh in on this question of wither movies, like art or commerce, you know? Are movies all going to be you know, big spectacles at the box office shooting for $1.5 billion, you know, which they may get or they may not. Or are they going to be, try to be like real interesting, creative, artistic statements? I mean, I love Tar. I love Banshees and Sheeran. Like this was a pretty good year for art house movies, but no one went to see them. And if you're relying on streaming for these movies to get an audience, like there just isn't the like business model there to support it. And I think that the drama around the Academy Awards is what side are they going to weigh in on? Are they going to give best picture to a movie like Top Gun or Avatar? And that's always been a tension. I remember back in 2019, Black Panther was nominated for best picture. And everybody was like, is this the year that Marvel, which is, you know, the kind of movie that people really flock to the movie theaters to see, is this the year that Marvel is going to get, like, best picture? And it didn't. I don't remember what won that year, to be honest. But... You know, it's always been a tension, and I feel like the stakes are just sky high on that question this year because the box office, you know, it's it's so variable. It's either like nothing, it's feast or famine, you know. Where did the audience go for art house movies? Why did they just suddenly disappear? Like- because during COVID, they got them all served to them right, on right, streaming services. Right. And once you've had a taste of that— I am— Guilty of that. Yeah. I mean, my theory is once you get out of the practice of going to yeah. a movie theater to see a serious movie like Tar, yeah. you you don't go back to that. It's right. almost like muscle memory, you know? Right. Um, and So you just go to see the big blockbusters? Yeah. I mean, that's what I do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that it's it's sort of like the IMAXification yeah. of movies. Yeah. It's like I'm going to go see something that's just going to like – blow my face off, you yeah. know? And and I I don't know. I mean, I went to see Tar in a uh in in a theater. You did? That's yeah, so I mean, cute. <laughs> can you see it online yet? I haven't seen it. You okay. haven't seen Tar? I haven't no. either. Come on, guilty, Chloe. guilty. We, got, we have a few small weeks. Small children to do it. is three hours. I mean, two two small children. Anyway, mm-hmm. what what I'm saying is Your children is, sleep through the night. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is I saw Tar on a big screen and I staggered out of that theater. I mean, if you talk about going to a movie theater and having like a real experience, like Tar works you, you know. It's too long, I think, but it's really like I mean, I don't know. I go see some of these big sort of spectacle blockbuster movies and I get bored. Like it, it kind of washes over you. Like, I want I wish I'd seen Top Gun in theater. I saw Avatar in the theater, and I definitely staggered out for a different reason. Uh, was like, Whoa. <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down on Avatar? I mean, I mean, it just kind of washes over you, and yeah. sometimes, like, you just kind of like need that. Okay. So, I mean, it's too long. So this is what I don't want. Mo- I mean, I love movies, and I love going I want, to movies. I think there's room for both. I'm. I, I can I do hope both. So. I like to do. I both. I hope so. Anyway, the Golden Globes uh, landing on Fablemans was like a vote in like we need serious movies still in movie theaters. Let's go. Let's let's encourage people that this is the movie they got to see. My question is, will the Oscars do the same? Will they be like, nope? You know what? Uh, the people spoke, and Avatar is best picture of the year, and that's it. I know, but it could happen. It could happen. You think? One point I haven't even I haven't checked, but like one point seven billion dollars? Like that's just insane. insane. Wow. And it's three hours twelve minutes, guys. It's a and commitment. You, and you know what the Oscars used to do? Is it used to pick like kind of a middle ground, like a populist art house movie, like a Shakespeare in Love. Yes, or like mm. a Coda. Remember that? Yeah. You know? 
Um, I remember that. It was like a year ago. <laughs> was, was that last year? It was last year. Yeah. Remember way back when, when Coda was in there? Yeah, yeah, and a streaming movie. You know, that was on yeah. Apple TV+. Plus. That wasn't even in a movie theater. So, like, they, they used to choose this middle ground of finding, like, or Green Book. Remember that? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they would find, like, a like a movie that was popular, but still kind of in this prestige zone. And I wonder if this is the year that that breaks. No, we have to talk about Florence Pugh's cover. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just read the story. Chloe Shama, our culture editor, wrote it. It's great. Yeah, she, it's they really spent a great. really fun multi-activity day together. And Florence just seems like someone you would love to spend a day with. She starts by making everyone martinis, and then it just goes from there. I'd love to get drunk with her. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was super fun. She's delightful. I mean, just like, what what a star. We're lucky to have her. What are her big movies coming out? Why are uh, we well, focusing on her? She has a film uh, coming out. It's written and directed by her ex, Zach Braff, called right. A Good Person, which is coming out in March. sort of an indie movie. Okay. Uh, but she's also in Dune Part 2, which is coming oh. out this year, and Oppenheimer, which is— What's oh. Oppenheimer? So yeah. Oppenheimer is the big Christopher Nolan movie that's yeah. coming out this year. Oh. And, uh, and so she has two, like, really big-budget, big swings, like, box office plays um, that are coming. Uh, but this indie movie was the peg for the, the cover story. Chama, uh, what else are you thinking about this week? I was very sad to hear about the news about Tatiana Pettit. I know. I was really sad. She was the one of the iconic big five um, supermodels you, you interviewed of the her. 90s. You interviewed I interviewed her? her 10 years ago. It was a piece on models at home with their families. She was a single mom to her then eight-year-old son, Jonah. She had moved to an amazing ranch in Santa Inez, California, and it was just this very picturesque and storybook life of her son would bike to his Montessori school and then she would ride her horses and take care of the animals all day. And she was just very much a sort of mother of the earth kind of uh, eschewed the the high glamour lifestyle. We got the news. Vogue.com broke the news that she passed away at 56. So sad. I mean, because I think she was one of the lesser known supermodels. Yeah. Which photographers would well, you she say was she worked famously, with? Famously, she was in the Peter Lindbergh shoot um, in Dumbo, sort of with the Brooklyn Bridge behind mm. her. She was in the George Michael Freedom music video. I'm th- pretty sure she was, yeah. Um, we're very sad about that. Yeah. I was sort of impressed that Louis Vuitton and Yayo Kusama could manage to pull off another collaboration that had everyone talking. And I know. About. I think it was, I mean, really kudos to them for completely reinventing the launch of a collab. I mean, she Taylor, is, have you seen this? It's polka dots, just painted polka dots all yeah, over. Yeah, the, the entire sort of Louis Vuitton. Well, I took my son already today on really? our way to school to, to see? see the store. <gasps> and there's a robot of Kusama in the window that is so lifelike, it is eerie. Yeah. Her cheeks move like her buccal fat is rippling. <laughs> it's wild. Her eyes are flap. It, it was, we had to leave. It was weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, who would have thought that this, you know, sticking dots on a bag again, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm sold. It's, it, it's a it knit bag for over. a reason. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Louis Vuitton had, had other big news this week too. Um, Kid Super, who was part of the uh, CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. I've never heard of this person. Well, what? He's a name to watch. Okay, but is he a designer? He's a designer. He's a New York-based designer, Brooklyn-based designer. He's really fantastic ideas, and he's known for his kind of -of out-of-the-box shows and concepts. Does he have a real name? Something like Colum. Okay. Is he replacing Virgil? No, he's doing a guest. He's doing a guest collection. Obviously, that's big shoes to fill, so I think it's kind of wise that they went this route. But, you know, great that they gave it to an American designer, 
young and kind of like Maverick in the same way that I think Virgil was very kind of, you know, he just always saw outside of the box. Okay. So it would be interesting to see what he does with the... Is it just for men? Just for men. Okay. Yeah. All right. Who is reading Spare? Oh, definitely not. No, but I've heard it's really fun read. How? I am. I'm listening to it. I'm two hours in. I almost missed my subway stop hearing about <laughs> he's getting into Camilla. I'm I'm totally there for it. Is it, it. good? Ish. It's good-ish. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big J.R. Moringer fan. I think he's like a great ghostwriter. He did Andre Agassi and uh, yeah, Phil that... Knight's Shoe Dog. And uh, I, I, I'm, I think it's good. I, um, I'm very excited to hear about his frostbitten penis. I feel like that's like the most. I can't believe you said that. I have not actually heard about this. Tell us more. Wait, you're not. Hey, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen, I read the aggregated. Like, I'm not going to actually read spare. So of course, I do read the like this eleven takeaways. Everywhere. And, and the, this the, is everywhere. He the, said on Colbert on Tuesday. <laughs> he said my uh, my fro- frost nip on it. My todger. Well, okay, <laughs> one more time, Chloe Mall, please. Frost nip on his todger. <laughs> Can we we get that embroidered on a t-shirt? Well, actually, speaking of embroidery, he said that the last time he went to a cold climate, a lady friend got him a cock cushion to protect his todger, and this time he didn't have that, and that's why it got nipped. And actually, I've had a similar situation with my dog Lloyd when it's really cold. He's gotten, like, ice stuck on his fur on his penis, and I've just had to, like, wipe it off with a warm washcloth. Chloe, (laughs) stop right there. My question is, did the Daily Mail translate that passage? from the original Spanish. I mean, it was a crazy media moment. It was like the Daily Mail has their hands on the Spanish edition of Spare. It was well, apparently real... it's a big upset because the Guardian got the English, so they had a huge time leg up. Imagine the rivalry between the Guardian and the Daily Mail. <laughs> Can you believe that it's already, and, and Susie Menkes uh, put on Instagram that it's already half price at the airport? No Oh, I heard, I heard it's selling off. gangbusters. Of course it is. Why would they put it 50% off? Explain that to me. Well, I don't know, but... Oh, I think that's just how they sell books at the oh. airport. <laughs> <laughs> that's not possible. If, but I did see a picture of a window of a bookstore in Piccadilly that had it in the window display as spare next to another book called How to Kill Your Family. Oh, perfect. And they just had all I of those that. there. And that's, so we yeah. know what the UK general feeling British is. British humor. We love it. Yeah. Actually, a friend sent me um, kind of a picture of the newsstand the day after, and it was just... It was just like a wall of Harry content. Yeah, of it course. It was just, just complete takeover. I yeah. want to know per capita if the book is selling better in the UK or the US. Like, mm. I think that the, you know, there's more of an audience for this book, frankly, in the US. You think still? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I think it's equal. Or I don't know. I don't think every bookstore in the US has it plastered across the whole wall of the bookstore. Chloe, need I point out that we have an... English person here and American person here, and only the American person is listening to Spare. Not reading. I'm busy, okay? <laughs> Taylor, officially the uh, deputy editor of Vogue. What a treat. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you. Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? 
head over to Vogue.com slash membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? Hey, Run Through listeners. Are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, handpicked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. Choma, Jesse Buckley is one of my favorite actors of the moment. She's also sort of, I feel like, this stealth darling of Vogue and has been for a while. Don't you feel that way? Oh, yeah. We're all fangirls for Jesse. Yeah. I first fell in love with her in the movie Wild Rose, where she plays this Scottish ex-con trying to make it big on the Nashville country music scene. Uh, and then there was obviously last year's The Lost Daughter was her big, I feel like, U.S. film that, That's breakthrough. when I really discovered her, to be honest. I'm a late... I'm a late... A late Buckley bloomer. I'm a late Buckley bloomer. Maggie Gyllenhaal's uh, directorial debut, The Lost Daughter, it was um, this very raw, frank film about maternal ambivalence, and Jessie Buckley plays this young mother grappling with very tough choices, and she got an Oscar nomination for it, and she's just so good in it, and there's something so crackling and delectable about all of her performances. Mm, I mean, that movie, The Lost Door, was one of my favorites of really? last year. Mm -hmm. Well, now she's getting all sorts of attention again for Sarah Pauly's film, Women Talking. Um, it's also a very intense film. It's about rape in a Mennonite community. Jessie plays Marika, a Mennonite woman in an abusive relationship who is brimming with fire and rage, uh, rightly so, but it makes for a very powerful performance. Yeah, I mean, the film is, you know, it's it's serious. It's, it's super intense. But what I love about her is that she brings this irreverence to the way she dresses, and I find that really appealing. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, she walked in with that wonderful outfit in this kind of very avant-garde, punky leather ensemble that had these you know, big ballooning sleeves and a vest that was or kind of a sheath that was was leather and then leather trousers. So she she has fun with it. And when we met her this week, we jumped right into talking about how she's always experimenting with her hair. She always has a great blunt chop. She really does. Hair is always. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're always experimenting with different colors. and Yeah, I kind of, to be honest, like I, I find hair quite hard work. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to be like, I'd like to shave it off. I just watched that <laughs> Sinead O'Connor documentary. Have you seen oh, it? I've no, heard it's so good. I'm dying to watch it. She's just the coolest. Yeah. And when I was growing up in Ireland, like, we were told that she was like, you know, be careful of her, you know, oh, but actually she was so ahead of her time. Yeah. And to yeah. shave her. She's just so beautiful and cool. Yeah. And so anyway, maybe I'll shave my hair off soon. You could, you could, you have a face <laughs> that you can carry it. I've always loved, liked the idea of it, but I just feel like, too naked. It's so tough. I need I need hair to just distract from everything else. <laughs> oh, we are beautiful, both of you. We could all do it. It would be like Vivian Westwood, which is very sad. Oh, I, I know. know. I thought, yeah, we were talking about her last week. She's just, she was, I mean. She was a real moment for Choma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just think that was... Have you ever worn any of her clothes? Yeah, yeah. I wore um, something of hers recently and to the London Film Festival. Was it the the striped? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was like so a corset yeah. kind of Amazing. harlequin dress yes. and I loved it. And actually it was like such because I came in and I was like, I'm just going to have so much fun this year. Like, and especially with women talking and because Marike is quite like hard work. I was like, I'm just going to be the opposite. I'm just going to like oh, that's such a good color way and go. fun. And I love, and like every time we get to meet up with all the, you know, girls on the red carpet, we all just kind of laugh. Do you coordinate? Um, I don't know. A few times we've been like, we're wearing black. We're all wearing black. And then, <laughs> and then the black doesn't look very nice. And I'm like in some kind of clown, <laughs> Harlequin, colorful dress. So um, I feel like that would be uncomfortable if uh, you and Claire showed up at an awards show, both in like uh, fuchsia. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should try it and see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you have a long like award season sort of marathon? I have no idea. Last year when I, with um, Oscar and BAFTA, I was doing cabaret in the West End, so I, I yeah. missed it all. Wow, <laughs> right. So this is my first kind of, I guess, time kind of going around with it. and. Well, like, did you get to come for the Oscars last year? Oh, yeah, I just came for the Oscars and I came with my boyfriend wow. and we were like, let's just have a party. <laughs> 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 and we were with Olivia Coleman and her husband, Ed, and we, um, we were all quite close. So we just, we actually ended up making friends with the guy in the lift of the Oscars. We, we missed the moment because <laughs> we we made friends with the guy in the Wait, lift. Wait, what moment did you miss? The Will Smith moment. Oh, oh the moment, God. of course. Oh. <laughs> because we I would have wanted to be there. Well, we <laughs> made friends with the guy in the lift and we our task for the night was to give him margaritas. <laughs> so we kept requesting this one guy in the lift and we were like... Well, lift is elevator, everyone. Just oh, yeah, right, right, right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Show us our translator. I'm sorry. I've, just, I've had to I do right. this so many years. It wasn't an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> um, so when we came back into the room everyone was like can you believe it we're like what what do you, do you know do you know that we've been giving this guy margaritas <laughs> in the lift in the elevator um, and also we went to Madonna's after party and, and my, me and my boyfriend were like this is really crazy <laughs> and then who I did you chat with at the after party we were with Ed and Livia, so we kind of had our little corner. And at one point, we'd all went dancing and we were like having a great, great time. And then it was about 1 a.m. and I was like, I really just want a plate of pasta. So I like went in and I got a plate of pasta and I plonked myself down on a step and I had a beer. And then one of Olivia's makeup artists she was like, thank God you're eating pasta. And she like <laughs> it went in and she got a plate of pasta. And the two of us just like had to chat about life and like where we were going on holidays. And But also we were like, oh my God, it's Leonardo DiCaprio's behind us. <laughs> <laughs> what are you excited to wear this award season? Is there like one, like you're just going to go Totally anti-Marika. <laughs> <laughs> no, not anti. I love her. I feel very protective of her. Um, I did notice in the movie that it's like there's a designer that Choma and I love, Batsheva, and it's oh, like sort of whole, Mennonite yeah. clothes. I love Batsheva. Good. Time I was yes. Watching, I was like, we this love whole movie too. is a. <laughs> Actually, when I turned thirty, I bought like a Batsheva white dress. Did you? And um, my uh, yeah, it's like my birthday dress. And if I ever get married, I've decided I'm going to wear it, and I'm going to get 
owe everybody to I think she did it in like one of her shows where she sent it around and got everybody to write messages of love on like yeah. this white dress so anyway, that's what I'm gonna do um, yeah maybe socks and sandals you know keep it keep I it love real. it it sounds like you lo- you're really into, you're into fashion it's not something that you had to back into as in your job I don't know I, 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 I'm like I'm getting to know it more and like, well, she's wearing a really great outfit right now if yeah. you can yes. if you can describe it please and give us the credit yeah, tell us about this I, I think it's like a kind of 1920s Joan of Arc yeah oh. description god you need to be Nailed writing it. you need to yeah. be writing fashion reviews for us um, it's it's Miyake it's cool yeah. I love it I have people that I really enjoyed wearing like uh, Scaparelli and mm. Erdem and with fashion and clothes I, I feel like I've felt like I've wanted to wear different things at different points in my life depending mm. on where I am in myself and kind of um finding the confidence to own that, whatever that is. And sometimes you get completely wrong and sometimes you get it right. But I guess you learn every time you do it. And it's such an art looking at, you know, Scaparelli. I I mean, it's like surrealism. And I I love all that stuff. Like when you see a narrative behind something and you might be able to create something with that and then have a kind of character with it is is fun. They say that you wear 20% of your clothes 80% of the time. Yeah. Do you, what's your like number one thing that you're wearing over and over right now? Tracksuit pants. <laughs> oh, from who? <laughs> um, I have no idea. Like American Vintage or something like that. Like I'm such, I think the only time I've ever met Anna was after Cabaret. And I was like, usually after Cabaret in London, I would just hop on my bike and cycle home as quickly wow. as possible to like and I came out in like tracksuit pants and a like oversized t-shirt and trainers I was like hi <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go <laughs> on my bike <laughs> where I belong <laughs> I know I really you sometimes will find photos or paintings that you love and make t-shirts into them oh yeah 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 oh, I wow. love doing that what's the last that. t-shirt you made um, I've got a picture of Lee Miller in Hitler's bath and oh I just gosh. Incredible. and printed it oh, and she looks so amazing and printed that <laughs> on her and then when I was doing cabaret there's this amazing performance artist called Valeska Gert who is mm-hmm. this like punk in the 1920s and she would do these like radical things and like stand up in front of a cinema and her protest would be silence and she would just do this weird little dance and I have a picture of her kind of doing this weird dance on her a t-shirt wow but wow. I love making it's great I, I love yeah is there like one website you use yeah I'm not selling them <laughs> like, these are one off JB t-shirts like a supreme drop <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> good initials for a fashion line JB, JB. yeah <laughs> JB exclusive <laughs> I loved watching Jesse and Women Talking. Uh, I actually watched it with my family on Christmas night, which was uh, heavy. But it's based on a novel by Miriam Toes, which is inspired by a true story of over 100 women that were raped in a, in a Mennonite community in Bolivia in 2011. And much of the film takes place almost like a play in this one room, which is a hayloft where... Uh, a quorum of the women in this community come together to debate their options. Do they stay and fight their abusers or pack up and leave the only life they've ever known? I mean, honestly, we should have watched Elf, but uh, I'm kidding. Uh, But despite being a heavy subject matter, 
there's a light touch to the way Sarah Pauli has directed it and the way that these women come together to do these performances that that makes it very watchable. Yeah, I mean, you watched it before me and and and, and told me about the film and I felt that you know, maybe I was walking into something a little heavy for a <laughs> beginning of the year, but it was actually it's been amazing to watch the cast as they do press for the film. Um too, you know, felt like they really bonded and not just Jesse Buckley, but Rooney Mara, Claire Foy, Ben Wishaw, Frances McDormand. It's it's not a it's not a cast of of wallflowers. I mean, these are no. this is a power packed cast. Yeah, and and they seem to all have fun with each other too. It seemed like they they became a family. They're all just the most extraordinary people and actors. And Sarah Pauly, the director, who's just the most extraordinary woman. She just created an environment where we are all able to take a risk and not just act, but genuinely experience in real time and change each other's minds in real time. And she did that by creating a a place of utmost trust and support. And she had like an onset therapist there. And I I couldn't believe that. I've never heard of that before. And how does it work? Yeah. How does that work? Well, I guess, you know, the material is quite intense and we had young actresses that had never worked before and we had crew members who'd you know been affected by some of the themes in the film before and you know it seems like a pretty practical thing to do actually and quite a like important caring thing to do and Dee Dee Gardner who's like our trailblazing producer said you know we'll put it in the budget we're going to make it work that's and did you make use of the therapist I did being like honest initially I was like you can stand far away from me. <laughs> Do not come anywhere. I know exactly, you know. And then there was a moment like right at the end and I'm not somebody who takes it home. Like, I'm like, you know, when you come back from the hayloft, we all would kind of go into the green room and we talk about what we're going to have for dinner and, you know, where we want to, you know, just like normal things. And there was such a respect to know that actually what we had to do in the hayloft was intense and important and actually we needed to come back and chill out. But at one point at the end, I kind of didn't really realise that actually Marike was just, she was just like quite full on to kind of carry around. And it was like a kind of point of, I think there was a point where we were about to leave, you know, make the decision to leave. And I just kind of spun out a bit and had a big old cry and <laughs> called her and she was great. And she's such an extraordinary woman. Her name's Dr. Laurie Haskell. And hmm. she's um, she's just been given the Order of Canada for her work that she's been doing for trauma. And, oh, wow. Um, you know, um, domestic abuse survivors. And um, and she, she was so useful in lots of ways, you know, to kind of talk to her about that. And, That's so um, smart of Sarah and Dee Dee to do that. I've learned so much from Sarah, but like as a leader, to have somebody who leads from such a kind of powerful vulnerability and who has such intense curiosity about everybody on set, you know, she would not only, you know, ask us as actors what we felt about a scene, but she involved the whole crew and everybody's point of view was valid. And I think that was what was interesting about this experience was she was able to contain these heightened perspectives and have a real time genuine, genuine debate and allow each other to affect each other from these kind of points of view um, so that we could all kind of move forward and kind of 
remove layers of skin and unlearn things so that we could collectively learn something new and have courage to move somewhere new that we didn't really, you know, it wasn't like they were kind of going off into the sunset to some utopia. Mm -hmm. It takes huge bravery to do what these women are doing and to find a new language for themselves with Mm -hmm. that bravery as well. And having, you know, Sarah, Fran and Didi being the leaders of that home, it definitely uh, was helped and so empowering. Frances McDormand, who's a producer and in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. What would you guys do in the evening? I just I remember you and I spoke on the phone briefly last year about The Lost Daughter. I was doing a piece on Maggie and I loved hearing about how much fun you guys were having afterward. You said you were singing and you and Olivia were <laughs> drinking rosé into the wee hours. <laughs> was there anything like that on this set? I feel, it feels like a different vibe maybe, but... Yes, there was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we did. You know, we kind of have nights where we'd all come over to mine and I'd order loads of pizzas and we'd go and have margaritas and go and kind of... Was there sing-alongs again? No sing-alongs this time. (laughs) No, there wasn't kind of a... a, that air of singing. And I love that you said that it's usually the quiet ones who are the naughtiest and that Ben and Rooney were (laughs) surprised you. (laughs) Always, yeah. Especially Rooney brilliantly. You know, I, I, I guess because... Something that was really important to Sarah and Miriam Taves, who wrote the novel, was that that these women laughed. You know, there Mm. was like people who kind of hurt the hardest, laughed the loudest and that they use laughter and have laughter so much in their lives. And um, Rooney one day basically brought in a fart machine and um, (laughs) oh, my God, it was just a laugh. She doesn't doesn't seem like her vibe, a fart machine. I have to say, oh, really? She has that. (laughs) Rooney's so naughty. She's such a like little naughty (laughs) twinkle. She's so twinkly. (laughs) Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. That's what happened to us. And then this kind of sound erupted and we were like, oh, my God, who's, (laughs) who's that? You know, we were all looking around like sheepishly, not sheepishly, like kind of, um, and it was Rooney, she'd planted. Wow, I would have never pegged her as like, the prankster on set. Like, what, was, what was your role on set? Like, what? who were you as far as like, I mean. Miserable? No. <laughs> no. I don't know. I liked it, you know, you keep it light and kind of until you have to go because it's too intense otherwise, it's yeah. too much. So in 2022, Jessie starred in the horror film Men, in which she's affronted by these various ghosts of sort of toxic male archetypes, like a Me Too, a Christmas Carol. And in a way, the film sets up as an interesting juxtaposition against women talking because men feels like this very uh, heavy dose of toxic masculinity, whereas women talking is pretty much all women on the screen all the time and it was a totally women-led set so it's interesting to talk to her about those two experiences back to back on the lighter side kind of but equally as exhausting she played Sally Bowles to great acclaim um, in Cabaret on London's West End and she I think went into Cabaret the week after finishing filming Women Talking so By the end of this past year, I think she was just exhausted. I'm exhausted hearing it. I know. <laughs> At Christmas, I was like, Phew. I feel like I've been hit by a train. <laughs> if I'd had like one of those things, it would have been. But sometimes like there's just like a flow, you know, mm. you're just like. And a lot of those projects, I always feel like these, sometimes these things come in kind of pairs or there's just something in the air. Or there are certain stories that meet you at certain points in your life and you kind of. You were all with it, and um, but Cabaret was such 
an amazing experience. Do you miss doing theater? Are you going to go back soon, you think? I always miss doing theater, yeah. It's like the best feeling in the world to kind of... I, I started in the theater and kind of, you know, having that intimacy with audience. And in Cabaret, you know, we were in the round, so you mm. could just see people's faces and see yeah. people's eyes. And um, every night you're terrified and then you kind of get that rush. And like Sally was just such a kind of firecracker. You know, you just really, you got on that train at the beginning of the night and then you came off and you're like, I have no idea what just happened. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, but it was great. It was great to kind of be back and doing that again. What are you? And then you, I read that you trained with Fusetti, a clown master, last yeah. summer. What inspired that? I think a few years ago, a friend of mine told me to watch this film called La Strada mm -hmm. um, by um, Fellini. Mm -hmm. And his wife, Giulietta Mazzina, is one of my favorite actresses. She's like this little punchy firecracker. Yeah. And um, it's just the most beautiful film. And I think clowning as an art form has kind of been forgotten in our world. Like before it used to be integral to society mm -hmm. and to kind of politics even, you know, like in yeah. King Lear, the fool was the person who kind of exposes the wounds within society. And it's all about failure and finding the beauty within failure clowning. And it's unlike any kind of performance work that I've done because it relies primarily on an audience like it's a three-way relationship and these balls are constantly dropping and the purpose of the clown is to catch the ball that's fallen and to find something beautiful with that and with the audience mm. and um yeah i loved it also female clowns like you never see them no. you know it's true you it's don't true. think of a lot of female clowns and actually i think like we wear makeup all the time and yeah. we're just like on the cusp of basically looking like clowns sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, let's go further with this. Although there was no makeup on the set of, um, is it true that there was no makeup? On oh, women talking. talking. I yeah, yeah, that. yeah. We all had no makeup. We all had hairy legs. Wow. wow. Yeah. Really lived it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about <laughs> underarms? Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading, watching, listening to right now? I read four great books when I was doing Fingernails. Okay. Both of Esther Pearl's books. Oh, wow. Okay. Mating Captivity and um, A State of Affairs, which was... Which one should I read? Both? E neither? <laughs> it depends where you are in your life. <laughs> what are you looking for? <laughs> If you want basically to have an affair and it be okay, read State of <laughs> I think I'll go with the other one. <laughs> um, but they're both brilliant. Actually, they're super interesting because it kind of blows the lid on the taboos of things like in within relationships, right. which are still taboos, you know, right. and actually are so common in our kind of world. And then I read this book called Vladimir by Julia May Jonas, which okay. is quite sexy. And then I read this amazing book, which blew my mind and I've been giving it to all my girlfriends <laughs> called Cassandra Speaks by Elizabeth Lesser and hmm. Fran McDormand told me about it and I got it whenever I buy way too many books I like when yeah. everybody somebody tells me to read a book I'm like bought it and then like three kind of books arrive home that are like 
bad feminist hunger <laughs> like all these things Fred my partner is like chill Jess <laughs> really like chill Christmas read <laughs> um, but uh, Cassandra Speaks is extraordinary and it's about um, reclaiming you know the origin stories which we've always understood about ourselves as women hmm. and actually are they ours in the first place and actually how we actually now is our time to make our own origin stories. Well, that's sort of lost daughter and women talking. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jesse, thank you <laughs> so, so much. Yeah, thank you for so coming. This is so great. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Love Jesse. <laughs> Want to go shopping with Jesse? I know, totally. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I want to ha- have Jesse make me one of her t-shirts. I know. That's, that's the real, that's the real get. And frankly, what yeah. I actually want is to uh, be in Jesse and Francis McDormand's book club. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. talk about women talking. That's the dream. <laughs> this is the outro, right? Uh, the thing that says outro, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Run for With Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate and review it. We want to hear from you. Send us a hello or any questions, thoughts, anything about the show to therunthroughatvogue.com. I'm Cho Minotti. And I'm Chloe Mao. Bye. Bye.